This audio podcast is from the River Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope God uses it to encourage and grow your relationship with Christ. For more information about the River Church, visit us online at theriverdfw.com or facebook.com backslash theriverdfw. Good morning, River Church. I am glad to see you today. You have no idea. You have no idea. We had a, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but we actually do a live feed of the sermons on Facebook. And so uh, there's actually, I was, there's a lot of people that watch it, which is pretty cool. So Facebook, hey, glad to see you today. And, um, but anyway, somebody texted me uh, who, who, they live out of state, but they watch the live feed and they said, man, Mike, they said, I've never noticed it before, but you got your own walkout music. Which is pretty cool, right? Like he said, why don't you just have somebody else come out and say, and now, Michael. I was like, well, that's a little much, you know, but maybe it kind of loses the focus of the point, right? So if you're watching today, I got you. You're on, you made the sermon. So anyways, we're, we're glad that you're here today. And we're um, continuing in our series uh, through the book of Daniel. And uh, it's a series called The Daniel Dilemma based on the book of the same name. And so um, if you've been with us, week one, we talked about uh, the idea of grace and truth, using Jesus as our example, how grace and truth are not mutually exclusive ideas that you you can and we can as Christians um, and as a church hold high the truth of God's word. We can hold high the standard of God's truth in the world around us, in our lives, and at the same time, we can offer grace to everyone around us. So that we start off the idea of grace and truth. And you say, well, how can we offer grace? Well, here's what I would say is that, and we talked about this in week one, is that you will never, ever, 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 ever offer more grace to someone in your life than God has given to you. You will never give someone, you, no one, no one, you cannot forgive someone more. You cannot give them more grace than the grace and the forgiveness that God has given you. And with that as our standard, with Jesus as our standard, we can offer grace to everyone, right? So we hold high God's truth. We offer grace to all that we meet. And then if you were here last week, we talked about the, the idea of the Babylon mentality, what we see them struggling with uh, in the book of Daniel, this, this Nebuchadnezzar struggling with this Babylon mentality. And it's a mentality that creeps into our world and our culture today, which is a mentality that says, hey, God's not really that important. Hey, you know, God's, God's really not that big. You know, as a matter of fact, you don't really need God all that much. And guess what? You're so special. Did you know how special you are? You're, you're so special. You know, as a matter of fact, you're so special that you can even be like God. And this idea, this Babylon mentality, what it does is it lowers God in our minds and it elevates myself. It lowers God and it elevates myself. And what we saw in the case of Nebuchadnezzar is that it leads to insanity in his life. And the truth is in our own lives, when we lower God and we raise ourselves up and we make ourselves like God or think of ourselves that way, it's going to lead to insanity in your life too. It's going to lead to insanity in your life too. And so that is until you restore God as the right, in his rightful place in your life as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And, and the truth is, is he's always King of kings, always Lord of lords, but it's our mentality. We get that twisted up. It's going to lead to chaos in your life. So here we are, week three of the series, and we're going to talk about this idea of standing up in a bow down kind of world. And we're going to start off with a verse in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. And it says this, be alert, which means, hey, pay attention, be alert, stand firm in the faith, act like a man, that's for the men, act like man, be strong, and your every action must be done 
with love. And so if you, you look at this verse, it's pretty interesting, right? Because he starts off and he's like, be alert, stand firm, be strong, be a man. And you're, I'm feeling like Braveheart speech right here, right? Like I'm getting pumped. Yeah, let's do this. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And he says, and your every act must be done in love. What? Doesn't that feel kind of counterintuitive, right? Like how, I'm, I'm ready to go fight somebody. And he's like, it must be done in love. So how can you fight someone in love? We'll talk about that next week. <laughs> but today I want to talk to you about what that idea of standing firm is. So we're going to cover the first half kind of of that idea, that verse today. What does it take for a Christian, for us to stand firm? What does that look like in our culture, standing firm? And, 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 and really the idea is maybe standing firm in the face of persecution or, or a disagreement with someone or, or, or even our culture. And for most Christians today in America, if we're honest, we probably really haven't faced a whole lot of persecution. Right? You've probably never faced any real uh, persecution. Maybe you have, but I would say probably most of us haven't. Like probably the worst thing that we've ever faced as a Christian in America is like some Facebook trolling, right? You post a Bible verse and somebody like, well, that's stupid. Jesus is, is fake, right? And you're like, Okay, you're fake, right? You're not real, <laughs> right? Or, or maybe like you feel awkward when you're in public and you're like, all right, let's pray for our meal. But people are watching, right? People are looking. And then even worse, we're like, all right, let's hold hands. Like, stop that, man, people are looking. They might think we love Jesus. <laughs> for me, probably the worst, if I'm honest, the worst persecution um, or, or, yeah, I guess whatever you want to call it, I, I've probably ever faced was whenever I was in high school and uh, you may have heard me tell this story before, but when I was in high school, there was a kid who uh, was in school with me, and he sat next to me in, in a class, just one class. And this guy, no joke, was like alt-right, Nazi, like Satan worshiper guy. For real. Satan worshiper Nazi. This is a fun guy to sit next to in class. And so anyways, he, he used to literally, we'd sit next to him in class, and he knew I was a Christian. He didn't like that I was a Christian, so he'd like curse me out in German under his breath and stuff in class. At least I think it was German. It could have been like demon talk. I don't, you know, I don't really know. Um, but I mean, seriously, I'd be sitting there. He'd just be, I guess I can't say it. But he would like be cussing at me in German, saying things. Like one time he stabbed me with a pencil. You know what I did? I stabbed him back. Like turn the other cheek, Mike. I wasn't there yet, okay? Jesus is still working on me, right? I did. I just don't get you, stab you back. And my pencil's sharper. <laughs> And it, like, I think the worst thing he really ever did was I used to carry around this little New Testament uh, Bible in my backpack, and, and every once in a while he'd steal it out of my backpack and like write bad things on it, tear out the Bible, uh, tear, tear out the pages and things like that. And, um, you know, to be honest, he sounds bad. It really wasn't even that bad. Like, matter of fact, when I was, one day he saw me at like, at like an Albertsons or something and gave me a whole bunch of coupons to Chicken Express as a way of a, to apologize. It's like... Those are going in the trash because there ain't no way I'm going to Chicken Express and letting you serve me food because I'm going to be dead, right? But anyways, <laughs> all that to say, I, I don't think I've really faced true persecution, right? And, and most of us probably haven't either. And there's people who have, like if you ever heard of the Voice of the Martyrs book, when I was a teenager, I'd read that book and it talks about people who have given their life for the faith. I think of Diedrich Bonhoeffer who fought Nazis in Germany, stood up when everybody else wasn't standing up. Think of Martin Luther King fighting injustice and fighting for equality. Think of Jim Elliott who gave his life uh, trying to reach an indigenous people who killed him. And, and, and the truth is that in our life, most of us have probably never faced life-threatening persecution but that doesn't mean that we haven't been faced with major choices on whether or not we will stand for our faith or give in to the world 
around us, right? That call in 1 Corinthians says, stand firm. It says, be strong. And what we're going to talk about today is I want to look at a story in the book of Daniel where we see just that, someone standing firm. And we're actually going to go backwards. Last week, we were in chapter 4. This week, we're going to be talking in chapter 3. And so, um, and if you remember, last week, we talked about Nebuchadnezzar raising him up, himself up, thinking he was godlike, and then God humbling him. This week, we'll see some of those qualities, and you'll say, oh, that's why God did that, right? So let's jump in. Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, lots of people, and all the rulers of the provinces to attend the dedication of the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So all those people, I'm not going to read again. They came and they saw the statue. I'm going to go to verse 4. Let's get that. And a herald loudly proclaimed, people of every nation. So you can just see this, you know, this wonderful thing happening. People of every nation and language, you are commanded that when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and every kind of music, people of every nation and language fell down and worshiped the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So Nebuchadnezzar gets this bright idea. He's going to create this huge golden statue in his image, in his, for his honor, for his glory, for all the people to bow down and worship. So he's like, I made this golden statue, which is, I thought was kind of interesting because scholars think it wasn't really gold all the way through. They think it was just gold plated, which kind of shows our, our ego, right? Like, I'm going to build this golden statue. Like, it's not even real, bro. It's fake. It's just gold plated, right? <laughs> but, but it's interesting because you see, he says, all right, so here's this golden statue, and he commands that you must do this at the sound of all these instruments playing, you got to bow down and worship. And there's two things I just want to point out real quickly right here. Number one is that he commands them, you've got to do this. You have no choice. And, and what I'll say about the culture around us, we're talking about the way culture makes us feel as Christians, is that culture often makes us feel like we're commanded to do certain things too. Culture often makes us feel like we have, a, have no choice but to bow down to its way of thinking, to bow down to the way culture says things should do. Like we as Christians have no choice to be, but to go that direction. And here's what I would say is that you always have a choice. Like you have a choice whether or not to go to work tomorrow, right? Like some of you, I hate my job. I don't want to go to work tomorrow, but I have no choice. You have a choice. You just, there's consequences with what you decide, Right. And culture is always making us feel, trying to make us feel like as a Christian, you're the only one who thinks a certain way. You're the only one who believes a certain way and that the, the wave of our culture is moving in this direction and you have to go that way and that if you stick to your faith, you're somehow the crazy one. Matter of fact, I was going to a lunch with some uh, business folk this last week, and when I came up to them, there is a big group of people, uh, some people I didn't know in the group, were talking about something going on at a church um, that was, to be honest with you, not biblical, and I'm not going to get into it, but it was going on at this church, it was not biblical, and they said, well, yeah, of course you have to do that. I mean, how can you, in the way culture is now, how could you not do that? Like, of course you have, and I was walking by, I was like, yeah, except for, you know, the Bible, there's that whole thing, right? 
But the idea was that even this, these people talking about this, and one of them was a pastor, even these people talking about this was brainwashed thinking, this is the way culture is going. We don't really have a choice. Well, what about God's standard, right? What about God's standard? And the truth is, and what I want you to hear today is culture is going to command you, you have to go a certain way, and you're the only one that believes a certain thing. But let me say this, is there are millions and millions of Christians worldwide in America, all over this world, who think like you do, who believe in the God that you believe, who serve the God that you serve, who worship the God that you worship, and are fighting and standing for what you believe in. So don't you ever let culture tell you you're the only one, because you're not. You're not. It's the way that they isolate you, make you feel like you're crazy. You're not. You're not. And the second thing I want to point out is that at the sound of music, they must worship. You go, the sound of music, why do you point that out? Because I think there's one thing that culture and society tries to make us do is it's that automated response. Anybody, any Office fans in here? There's an episode I love where Jim, if you know who Jim is, trains Dwight to ask for a mint at the sound of the computer turning on. You ever heard that? So there's like, ding, he's like, mint, please. Right? You ever seen that? Like, that, I think that's what culture kind of does to us. It, it makes us want to have this automated response. And so you hear somebody say something or you hear you know, something going on or, or a, a conversation of a topic, and we have a knee-jerk reaction or we have an automated response to that topic based on the way culture kind of trains us. You have to have this automated response. You have to think this way. You have to feel this way. And, and sometimes maybe we respond or think or say something and fight for something that we say we believe in because of the way culture trains us, that when if somebody said, why do you think that? Why do you believe that? We would go, oh, I, you know, I don't really actually know. Automated response. You're trained. You're trained, right? So he builds the statue, says, everyone must worship at the sound of the music. Y'all got to bow down and worship it. But not all do. Daniel 3, 8 through 12. It says, Some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. You as king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of, <laughs> say it with me, the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music must fall down and worship the golden statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship must be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire there are some Jews, they're talking to the king, there's some Jews whom you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden statue which you have set up. And just to put it bluntly, we got some tattletales, right? We got some tattletales, we got some suck-ups, and you see this as they come in and they're going, oh, king, may you live forever, Let's, let me tell you about some people who are ignoring what you have commanded. Oh, king, may you live forever, right? Like these are the people in class, and we got some teachers here today. These are the people in class who, as the bell's ringing, they're like, what about the homework? And maybe I'm, I'm only that way because I was the kid in class who lived by the, the holy prayer. Oh, Lord, help me to recall the things I did not study for your glory and honor. Amen, right? That was me in class. But so they take this occasion, and they, these suck-ups take this occasion to not only try to get, gain favor in the king's eyes, but they're gonna, it says they maliciously accused these guys. And, and I think that they were probably looking for something to accuse them about. I think they were probably looking, because here's what I believe, is that when you stand for something, when you stand for your faith, or you stand for what God's calling you to stand for, there are going to be people around you who are looking to tear you down who are looking for flaws in your lifestyle. Hey, I'm a Christian. Oh, really? Because I heard you cussed the other day at the water cooler. Oops, didn't mean to. 
right? There's going to be people who are looking for opportunities to compromise you when you stand for your faith. Don't be surprised when it happens. And, and so they come to the king and they say, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, may you live forever. There's some people who aren't, who aren't bowing down like they're supposed to. And what I would say about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that they were, in fact, bowing down to something. They just weren't going to bow down to this statue because what they were bowing down to was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And because they bowed down to the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that means that they would never bow to some statue or some fraud because they knew the real deal. You'll never bow down and worship something that's a fraud when you know the real thing, when you've experienced the real thing. It's like, you want, you want me to bow down to that? Like, I helped make it. I know that's not a god. It's not even real gold, Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> They're bow- I would say this, is that we're all bowing down to something in life. What we're going to do is make sure that we're bowing down, we're worshiping, and we're serving the real thing, the genuine thing. 3, verses 13 through 14. Then, so they tell Nebuchadnezzar this news. Then, in a furious rage... Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue that I set up? He ain't happy. Daniel 3.15. So he's, he's upset, he's angry, he brings them in, furious rage, and now he's going to give them a second chance. Well, now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of all these instruments... Fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, so he's like, can you, you can all see this. Hey, guys, let's, let's talk. Maybe you didn't hear the sounds. Maybe the flute wasn't loud enough. Like, we'll, call, we'll talk the flautist or flutist, whatever you say. We'll talk to him. Maybe you didn't hear it. Maybe you missed it. Maybe you misunderstood. We'll give you one more chance. Don't he sound so nice? He sounds so kind. He says, come on, if, if, we'll give you one more chance. And hey, but if you don't, it's okay. You'll just immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Real reasonable guy. And then he says this, and who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Oh, Nebi. (laughs) God's like, I'll see you in a chapter, right? (laughs) So he's going to give him another chance. And he says, hey, if you don't, I'll give you one more chance. But if you don't do it, we're going to throw you in a big big, uh, pit of fire. And he says, but who... Who is the God that can save you? So here they are. They're faced with this choice to bow down to the statue and deny everything that their faith believed in, everything that they knew to be true and live, or bow down to this fake, phony God and risk and, and not lose their life or lose their life. It's moments like this when as Christians, we have to step back and ask the question, what does it take to stand firm to something like that? What, what does it take for us to be able to stand up when we face a situation like that? Now, I've never faced anything remotely close to that, but I have faced opportunities where I had to either stand firm in what I believed in or lie and give in, even, even in little ways. What I would say is the first thing that it takes to stand firm is this, is standing firm takes courage. Standing firm takes courage. And that's the first blank in your notes today. And the word courage comes from the Latin and French word cour, courage, courage, 
which means heart. It's the word for the heart. And I would say this, is that things like courage is what it took for a man like Dietrich Bonhoeffer to stand up in Nazi Germany when everyone else was ignoring what was going on. Matter of fact, they were ignoring it so bad. I read a story this week that just broke my heart about how there was this there's a story of this church who was right next to some train tracks, and this train would go back and forth carrying Jewish prisoners on their way to Nazi concentration camps. And so when they would do this, this church would be having services, and when they'd hear the trains coming, the church would sing louder and play their music louder so they wouldn't hear the cries of the Jews on their way to their death. Doesn't that break your heart? And I point that out to say that's the climate that Dietrich Bonhoeffer stands up and says, my Christian faith says, I can't allow this to happen. My Christian faith says, I have to stand firm right now, even when everyone else is not. And it's that courage that cost him his life. But what I would say is it's that same courage that speaks to us today and calls us today to stand firm. See, when culture is telling you to be quiet, to stand down and to bow down to the statue, it's going to take courage for you as a Christian to stand up. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have a response to the king when he says, what are you going to do? And I want to remind you that the king had renamed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember in week one, he had given their names originally meant God is good. Who is like my God? Ain't nobody is like my God. And then thirdly, God is my helper. He changed them from those names to names that meant I'm afraid of God, I'm despised, and I'm a servant of Naboo, which was a false god. So here's these two names. Here's the two names that they have. I wonder which names they're going to live up to. The names God's given them or the names that the King Nebuchadnezzar had given them. Let's, let's check it out. If you've seen VeggieTales, you already know what's going to happen. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't it like a big uh, chocolate bunny or something? Oh, yeah, the bunny, the bunny. But yeah, you know what I'm talking about. All right. I'm sorry. Daniel 3, 16 through 18. This is my favorite verse in the whole chapter. Verses in the whole chapter. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to that question. Ooh, talking to the king, we really don't need to answer you, but we will. Here we go. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. Don't you just love that? He can rescue us from the fire. And by the way, he can rescue us from you. But this last part. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as the king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden statue that you set up. Woo! Right? Come on now. We ain't worried about you, Nebby. We ain't worried about you. Our God can rescue us from the fire, and he can certainly rescue us from you. But even if he chooses not to rescue us, we just need you to know that we will never bow down to that statue. We will never bow down and worship that false God. Like, this, this isn't some cute, I'm joking about VeggieTales, but this isn't just some cute kid story. Like, these are men looking at the king of the known world who literally is holding their lives in their hands in this moment and saying, look, you can do your worst, but even if we die, we're not bowing down. We just need you to know, right? These guys have some serious courage. And you're probably thinking, well, they probably weren't afraid at all, man. Just stand up to the king. But I would tell you that they were probably terrified. They were probably shaking. If they had boots, they were probably shaking in their boots. But here's what I would say to you is that this, and this is the second blank in your notes, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's not. You say, oh, I'm afraid. I can't stand firm. I can't stand up. It's not the absence of fear. Like for the first two years 
of this church plant, before I would preach, I would almost go throw up there, out there in the bathroom. I was terrified, right? Courage isn't the absence of fear, but it's the ability to do what you know is right in spite of your fear. Courage isn't the absence of fear. It's the ability to do what you know is right in spite of your fear. And you say, okay, well, Mike, so if they were afraid, if they were scared, where did they get this courage to stand up? How did they, how did they even in their fear, have the ability to stand up? Here you go, point two. Because standing ter- firm, here's where they got their courage. Standing firm takes faith. Standing firm takes faith. See, they had faith. They had faith that God could rescue them, but they also had faith that even if God chose not to rescue them, that it would be okay. You say, well, Mike, how would, it, how would it be okay? They would be dead, right? Because as a Christian, our faith in God is more than just believing that there's this world. Our faith in God is more than just believing in the finite 80 years that you're going to have on this life. As a Christian, we believe that there's much more. We believe in eternity. We believe in in a world beyond this world. And so they could stand because no matter what, they had a faith in God that was something deeper, a faith that gave them roots that went deeper, that when the world is trying to throw them to and fro, when the world's trying to shake them up, when, when Nebuchadnezzar is saying, you're going to die, they had a faith in something deeper that allowed them to stand firm and stand strong. And it's our faith that gives us courage. It's our faith that allows us to stand and fight. It's our faith that even allows us to be vulnerable in these moments. You say, Vulnerable? Yeah, they, you talk about vulnerable. These guys are vulnerable. Nebuchadnezzar, they think, holds their life in their hands, right? They know the king can do whatever he wants to them, and they are vulnerable. They are exposed to the will and the power of the king in this moment. But in that vulnerability, they had faith to take heart. They had faith to have courage. And I think this is pretty cool because that word courage that we talked about earlier, that word core, the Latin word there, for, for heart, it's called your core because the heart is the core of who you are. The heart is the center, it's the core of who you are. And you think courage, when we think of courage, we think of like putting on armor and going out and fighting the battle and getting after somebody, right? Anybody, right? Let's courage, let's go, let's go, right? But that, that word courage actually is called courage because it's the ability to not fight, it's the ability to be exposed, to expose our core, to expose our heart. And so the idea of courage, actually the original meaning and idea of courage wasn't to go out and fight and act all tough and big and bad and act like I'm not afraid, but it was the ability to be vulnerable and the ability to be exposed. It's a little bit different than what we naturally think of. And so the original idea of courage is vulnerability. And it's our faith in God that gives us the courage to be vulnerable and be exposed to a world that can do whatever they want to us but a faith in God that says he's going to hold strong. So what happened to these guys, right? What's he going to do? Something crazy. <laughs> That's what happens. Let's read it. Daniel 19, or excuse me, 3, 19 through 25. Then Nebuchadnezzar filled with rage. This guy's all over the place. Filled with rage, and the expression of his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary, and he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them in the furnace of blazing fire. So these men in their trousers, robes, and head coverings and other clothes were tied up and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. 
Since the king commanded was so urgent and the furnace was extremely hot, the raging flames killed the men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You talk about getting caught up in something, right? And they're just throwing them in the fire. They get killed. Collateral damage. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Well, yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He exclaimed, look, I see four men, not tied, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the sons of God. What? First of all, how cool would that be, just to be able to walk around in fire unhurt? Like, talk about like a magic trick. What's that? Right. So he throws them in, kills the men around him. And, and this is interesting because a lot of scholars think that that was actually Jesus standing in the fire with them, which I don't think Jesus had to show up. I just think he wanted to mess with Nebuchadnezzar, right? I'm like, well, I'm going to freak this dude out. Watch this. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's keep on. Nebuchadnezzar, verse 26 and 27. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego you servants of the Most High God, come out. This guy's all over the place, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out of the fire. When the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, they saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, not a hair on their heads was singed, and their robes were unaffected, and just for effect, you see this last part, and there was no smell of fire on them. Didn't even smell like fire, man. Come on. 28 through 30, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angels, so now Nebuchadnezzar's worshiping God, and rescued his servants who trusted him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve and worship any God except their own. Therefore, check this out, this guy, man. He deserves his own TV show. Therefore, I issue a decree that anyone of any people, nation, or language who say anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn from limb to limb, <laughs> and a ho their houses made a garbage dump. <laughs> what? Like, he's trying to get saved, but he is just way off the mark, and he? like, he's going way the other direction. Like, not, not, I'm throwing you in the fire. No, okay, now we're just going to, they don't believe in your God, now we're going to tear them from piece to piece. Like, Nebi, you need Jesus still, man. You are missing the point. <laughs> then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So now he's worshiping God. He's trying to get things right, but he's still going a little bit too extreme. And last but not least, did you guys check that out? He promoted them. So they don't bow down to his God. They say, you can do whatever you want, but we ain't bowing down. Those men of fire, and now they got a promotion. That is, I do not ever want to get a promotion like that, right? <laughs> I can't go any higher than this, though. <laughs> what a turn of events, man. And here, here's what I would say, is that when you stand, I'm, what I'm not saying today is that if you stand firm in your faith, you're going to get a promotion. Like, because the, the truth of the matter is you could stand firm in your faith, you could stand for what you believe in, and it could go very poorly for you, right? Like, the story of Martin Luther King, well, everybody knows what happened to him. He stood firm, and, and he made a difference in this world. He was murdered. Dietrich Bonhoeffer stands up, and we've been talking about all the amazing things that he did in Germany a little bit this morning. He was hung because of it, right? Jim Elliot, killed, right? Paul, guy who wrote a lot of the Bible here, stands firm, stands strong in his faith, murdered. 
So I'm not saying that it's always gonna go like that, but that's where our faith comes in. We have to have something deeper. We have to have roots that allow us to stand firm and stand strong in our faith. And, and I think that this is important because of all of this, what I'd say is when we stand firm in our faith, this is why this matters so much, and we stand firm in our faith, standing firm inspires others around us. That's the last there in your blank. Standing firm inspires others around us. When we stand firm in our faith, when we stand up for what we believe in, it allows others around us to believe that they can too. And it encourages others around us to do the same thing. And um, There was this really cool story that, that I, I read a while back I want to share with you. It's about the four-minute mile. Anybody ever ran a four-minute mile? Ran it a few times, no big deal, right? The four-minute mile was seen as like the holy grail of running. They, they thought it's impossible. No one can ever run a mile in under four minutes. There's just, there's no way. It's great. The human body is not capable of doing it. They, they thought, no way. And then there was this guy named Roger Bannister. He believed he could do it. And so he researched it. He studied the human body. He studied weather conditions, and, and he believed that he can do it. And on 1956, in front of about 2,000 people, Roger Bannister ran a four-minute mile in about three minutes and 56 seconds. It's almost as fast as my fastest time. That's pretty impressive. But here's the thing about it. It was seen as impossible. No one can do it until someone did it. And then 46 days later, someone else did it. I thought it was impossible. How could two people do it? And then in the next year, three more people ran a sub four minute mile. What? No, it was impossible. Well, now you got five people who've done it. And in the 50 years since, over a thousand people have ran a sub four minute mile. I thought it was impossible. What I'm saying to you is that when we stand firm in our faith, when other people see you do it, then they believe Maybe I can do it too. And it inspires them that they can do it too. And so what we want to be as Christians and what we want to be as a church is we want to be a place that stands firm, that stands strong, that holds high the standard of God's truth, that offers grace to everyone around us and be a place where people look at and go, well, if they can do it, I can do it. And so what do, we, what do we stand for? As a church, we stand for holiness. We stand for a pure life, but we don't just stand for that. We stand for the hurting. We, we want to stand for the broken. We want to stand for someone who comes in this place and feels lost. We want to stand for the weak. We want to stand against hate. We want to stand against prejudice. We want to stand against injustice. We want to stand and fight for our families. We want to stand and fight for our friends. We, we want to stand and fight for the truth. You see, it's so much bigger than we think. And we've got to stand so that others around us can see it and go, man, I can do that too. I can do that too. So my question to you, River Church, today as we stand, let's stand together, and we're going to worship God in this last moment. My question for you today is what is God calling you to stand for? I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a family you know. Maybe it's a friend that you know. Maybe there's a cause that you need to stand for. What is God calling you to stand for today? It's, it's going to take courage. It's going to take faith. But when you stand, others around you will see and believe that they can stand too. So River Church, what's God calling you to stand for today? God, I love you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this amazing story in Daniel of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who stood against the greatest odds. King Nebuchadnezzar, you can throw us in that fire, but we got to let you know, we, no matter what happens, our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we ain't bowing down. That's, 
I want faith like that, God. And so, Lord, today we love you, God. Today we worship you, God. Today we stand. And we don't, we don't stand for nothing. We stand for you. We stand for our God. We stand for our deliverer. We stand for our redeemer. We stand for the one who has saved us. And so, God, today we stand and we worship you. And God, I pray that whatever it is that you're calling us to today, that we would have the courage and the faith to stand firm in our faith. God, we worship you. We love you.